Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's Friday. And I can't believe how good this episode is. We're finishing the week strong. Well, it's not actually over. We got we got Sunday coming up too, And that's a strong episode. But my pal Howard Lindzen is with us. We talk about public markets, private markets, J trading, Peloton, Web3. And he really got inside my head about what's going on with Kevin Rose's project and some of these awesome NFT projects and DAOs. It was really a great discussion of the crypto market, and then private markets and public markets and the nature of those three things working together, we went through every single J trade. And we vetted them and he gave me some of the best advice I've gotten today. To date, he gave me some of the best advice I've gotten to date about moving into this public market investing that I'm trying to do. And of course, it wouldn't be Friday without producer Rachel reporting on her OK Boomer segment. It's going to be a great episode. Please stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by User Testing. With User Testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective by seeing how they interact with your products, apps, or messaging. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes and visit usertesting.com slash twist for a free trial. User Testing, real human insight. Liquid IV. Making hydration a priority will help you feel better on a day-to-day -day basis. Get 25% off at liquidiv.com by using promo code TWIST. And FanDuel Sportsbook. Use code TWIST during sign-up to get started with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Starts. My guest today is Howard Lindzen. You follow him on Twitter, Howard, L-I-N-D-Z-O-N. He's the founder and general partner of Social Leverage. And he invests in seed stage startups, but also he's the co-founder and chairman of Stock Twits, uh, which I think you guys pioneered the dollar sign uh, yeah. With the ticker symbol on Twitter, you created that. Uh, which 2008, we definitely did. It was a way, the first dollar sign other than like that I know of in 07 or 06 was to Fred Wilson. I tweeted, I blackberried him mm. on Twitter, a uh, uh, dollar sign rim. I think the ticker Got symbol it. for Blackberry at the time was rim because yeah. there was no iPhone. There was no iPhone, if you can believe yes. it. Remember, Twitter was, it was Blackberry. It was on BlackBerry. I mean, the Desktop first version of Twitter was uh, also SMS. So SMS. you would get an SMS message. And back then it cost you money. And that's why cost I didn't angel money. invest in it. Because I was like, this is stupid. Every time I get an update, it's going to cost me five cents. I burned through 200 of these. And then I'm at five cents for each overage. This is dumb. I of course, I'm not going to invest in it. smarter reason, I did pass Fred showed it to me at 20 million, Val. And I was uh, like, how am I going to make money? How can I make money uh, on this? That's true. You know, it's a funny story. It was twenty million in 06 valuation. It literally, usually the valuations were five to eight million at that time, and I was they talking were one to, to two million, dude. At that in time. some cases, yeah. But this is Ev Williams who had done Blogger, and I was talking to Ev, and he's like, "Hey, Sequoia, Fred Wilson, what do you think?" And I was like, "Well, you know, Fred's king of New York. He's amazing. He's going to be super active. Sequoia, Sequoia. I mean, you can't go wrong there." Uh, so that's like a pick them, you know, like you could just flip a coin there. You, you, you're winning either way. Why don't you get both of them? He's like, I just want to have one. And he famously went with Fred Wilson, which was a crazy moment in time in venture because Fred was based in New York. And the idea that a VC would get on a plane and go across the country for board meetings. Fred was wasn't nuts. doing that back then either. That was like one yeah. of the first things he had done. That. Yeah. yeah. Fred was, I'm only investing in my backyard, right? He might do boxing. He might do DC. <sighs> My God, how the world has changed in private markets. We're going to get into private markets. We get into public markets. Could use a little mentorship here because you've always done both. And I just want to start out with how is private market investing and public market investing analogous? In other words, what are the 
things that never change about making a, a great investment. But then what's different? And, and how do you switch your, your, your modalities and your strategies when you're going from private to public? Well, I, I mean, I appreciate you asking. This is a constant learning environment, right? We just went through a period where some of my favorite people, mm. like that I was blown away by podcasts, who you've had them on your podcast, Ultimator. Like, I think they're super, some of the smartest people are down 50% in the last year. So, so before I say I know what I'm doing, like, this is really hard to do, um, both private and public. But like, when you combine the two, they really are different, right? So I started from, the public market side, you know, when I started with an MBA and whatever, all the fancy degrees, it was like, you know, the world was, uh, there was no internet. So you could value companies based on, you know, a, a growth company was a store, like a gap or a restaurant. Yeah. And you, you could just figure out their growth by how many stores they, that was a growth company before the internet. So, it, so, so valuing companies was a lot different. And the private markets hadn't developed that much. And VC in the 90s still wasn't a thing, right? Until mm -hmm. until the internet. So let's talk about it then post 2008, where it really started taking off, where angel investors started taking off, even though it, it didn't become as big as it was, you know, but, you know, post angel list, post GFC, uh, where private investing and, and us investing across, um, what do you call it, um, when you hybrid up ac across both private and yeah. public, uh, the, the angel investing was very different. What I loved about angel investing, uh, even though I was wrong a lot, was you were in it for 10 years. One of the hardest things about investing in stocks, and we're seeing this play out in crypto, is seeing the price. When you see the price of your thing every minute of the day, oh. whether, whether you love the company or not, and you're seeing this now as you trade, is... Seeing the price changes your mood, changes your behavior, changes, you know, you probably are better at it than most because you play poker and you and you can separate what a chip is versus your money. But um, being a public market investor, I wasn't very good at, at least on the trading side, because you were always adding up your value, mm. right? You could see what your portfolio is worth by the second. And for some people, that's great. They know how to separate their 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 day to day P and L from their ten year vision. For me, it was poison. Right. Mm -hmm. For me, seeing what you know being judged every day versus the S and P was just not healthy for me. And angel investment, you know, as risky as it sounds, just made more sense to me because I did the work. I was committed in this idea or trend or in this team. And, you know, good luck getting out. So it was a portfolio approach where you really had to think through eight to 10 year exit strategies. And for my personality and for the way I saw the world, private investing just made much more sense. This crossover world that's become famous before 2021 crash here, 2022 uh, has been around and it's a very special type of investor that can convince both their LPs to be liquid and public. It's very complicated if you're going to do it professionally to value portfolios and you've got to have all kinds of extra oversight and you have to have side pockets and side cards. It's very complicated to price your stuff. And they really are very different skills. So public, the main difference being like you and I in, in private, it's much easier to sit and, and deal with the day-to-day -day fluctuations when you know you can't get out. And when I think what we're seeing in crypto, sorry, what we're seeing in crypto yeah. is 
everybody's so excited, but you know what? The price is a curse. The price of your, your token can be a curse. It's creating all kinds of short-term behavior in, you know, this whole idea that venture capital would now be public and you could price things early may mm. turn out to be the biggest flaw of crypto. This is uh, a really interesting that you bring this third discipline into a crypto because it combines uh, the best and worst of both. If we look Correct. at private market investing, one of the great features is you talked about doing the work. Okay, we'll get into that in a minute. But you get to understand the founder, the market, the product, the product velocity, everybody's got different techniques here for making that early bet. And then you have no choice but to sit on your hands, maybe a secondary opportunity happens, but it generally only happens in your winners. But in 06, there was no such thing as secondary. There was, second market. Then, yeah. there was second market, which then became, you know, didn't work in many yep. ways. And then there's AngelList, which I was, I was luckily an early investor in. But and now there's a pretty healthy secondary market, but it's still very glitchy. It's not super fluid. Right. Um, and, you know, you, you do have opportunities from time to time, but it's, it's not like a public market where you buy something. And I had this happen just last week. I had my thesis. I'm really big on these streaming services. And we might as well get right into it. Um, I believe that somebody will get to a billion paid subscribers. This is my Correct. thesis. Correct. Somebody will get there. And Netflix is at 220. The Disney cohort of uh, ESPN, um, Hulu and Disney Plus, they're at 221. Today, they just beat out Netflix by 500,000 subs. I buy this Warner uh, Brothers discovery because I love Zaslov. I think that guy's a murdering, you know, assassin, like wartime Slootman style CEO. Um, and boom, I'm down 20% the day, you know, two days after I buy it. Which who's and, down twenty percent? Which which one? WBD. Oh, I saw that. Warner Brothers Discovery. My only down. Out. Okay, but you're right. I just want to recognize your point of the psycho psychological difference. I look and I see. Okay, I make seven bets. I got six green. I got one red. All I can think about is the red one. All I can think about is why and did I make such a stupid you, decision? It may force you, especially if you're reporting to other investors. There's one thing if you keep it to yourself and you be, you know people behave differently. And this is, we can get into the psychology and why products like Robinhood or eToro work, copy trading and all these things work. You know, everybody, everybody's an expert, you know, on Twitter and StockTwits and Reddit. We get that. Like, no one shares their losers. But the whole point is, this is why I've always been bullish on the idea and you invested in Robinhood too and, and why I started StockTwits. You've got to learn this language. And part of the language is your behavior, right? Like it's the great, you know, we spent 50 years learning Spanish and Chinese teaching this stuff in schools and we should be teaching kids this language yes. because it's universal. It's global. You can do it yourself from anywhere. And, you know, we can argue whether it's addictive. Some, some patterns of it are addictive, but let's be honest. This is a language that kids need to learn because the government printed money for 20 years globally and kids are going to get this money from their hand down from their parents or they're going to earn it. So the best thing they can do is learn how to invest and of course even trade if they have to. But seeing one red, you're seeing yourself. Like you start, you start judging yourself and go, what did I do wrong? When sometimes yep. the market is just very inefficient for six months, one year, even three years. And, and I can give a couple examples where it really affected me mentally in 99 in the internet craze because I wasn't an internet person. So, and I was running a hedge fund and like internet, I bought into the, like the idea of the internet was just going to crash too early because of eyeballs, there's no revenue. And so I was like, oh, 
the easiest thing to do is buy FedEx. At least they'll make money from everybody, you know, shipping products around the world. Like Am- they're going to be the ones that make money off Amazon. Ah. From 1998 to 2000, when internet stocks were going up, FedEx was going down every day. So to me, there's like you, it's like, I understood the internet was going to be great, but I bet on the company that I thought was a sure thing to make money off the internet. And guess what? Yahoo and Amazon went up a thousand percent or 10,000 mm. percent and FedEx went down. So what you're seeing is something that everybody should learn, right? Which is how you're going to react when you see red and you don't understand why it's red. User experience is critically important for you to make a great product. You need to experience what your customers experience and you can do that best with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product, maybe a prototype, where you're doing just a simple marketing campaign, you're going to get video feedback straight from the people who you want to reach most your customers and your potential customers. The user testing human insights platform lets you understand it all from your customers perspective. And it allows you to target the exact audience, ask any question or request to perform a task really interesting, right? And most valuably, you get a window into their world. And unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or months to deliver results, user testing, you get your real reactions, and you hear real opinions in real time. It's super fast, you're going to get responses in real time and at the speed your business demands, you can adjust your message, you can refine your UI. And you can understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product service or brand the results? Well, you feel what your customer feels so you can build the best experience imaginable. So I want you to get a free trial. It's a free trial. You got nothing to lose. Visit usertesting.com slash twist, usertesting.com slash twist, real human insights. Yes. And I, it's, it, this is, we call it in poker tilt control because you could have aces and somebody makes a terrible all in call with you and you've got them dominated. You're 80%, you're 90% to win. And then as we learned in the Trump presidency, like he had a, 20% chance, then a 25, then a 30, 35% chance, and people are all giving Nate Silver a hard time. And he's like, I told you he had a 35% chance. Have yeah. you not ever rolled the dice and seen a one third chance come up? Like a one third chance is not the majority, but it's significant. Yeah. And I have this experience with private companies, but it happens only at the end when yeah, they it shut down. You have liquidity choices, obviously. Should I have sold? I could have sold. And so those are the other differences between public and private markets. When you have a chance to sell, do you sell? In the public markets, the market opens every day. And in crypto market, it's open 20. We could argue. I've long thought that having markets open twice a week. I know that no one will ever vote for that because there's so many jobs at stake. But like, do we really need the markets open 24, 7, 365? How productive is that? Like seeing Apple's price every minute versus twice a week. Does it really make a difference? And wouldn't it be better for a lot of these things if they weren't priced every minute? So those are going to debates that are going to now go on forever because of crypto. But like beating yourself up, the idea of the public markets is is betting on the US economy. And somehow we've lost, you know, sight of that and like the gambling and gamification of the market. It is what it is. You and I can't change it. So all you can do is is what you're doing is learning how to do it and then trying to control your emotion. And for me, the reason I've chosen Netflix out of those three you have, and I've been wrong for the last six months, is I prefer to bet on pure strategies. And and so so Disney has the advantage of being a conglomerate in that they can send people because of the Disney brand to the streaming service. But when you look at their financials, it's a conglomerate. 
So, so whereas Netflix, if I want to bet on streaming, listen, you're going to go through periods where, you know, they've made strategy mistakes, but I think long-term Netflix is in the best position to get to that number. Cause I agree with you on there's going to be close to a trillion or close to whatever, a billion, a billion subs, a billion subs. And all right, this has been a horrific year because of certain things, but I think Netflix will go linear. Netflix will go ads. Netflix has uh, international. And I think the other thing working for Netflix long-term is TikTok, TikTokification, meaning in a web three world, we all like to make, some people like to make fun of it. I don't anymore. In a web three world, Netflix will be able to buy 30 communities that have and, t- and tie them in through Web3 and through wallets and NFTs to do better algorithms. So when I open up my Netflix account, I will be able to see uh, stuff from around the web in my Netflix account. And so I, I do think that Netflix has that advantage of focus. But I agree also with why you like it. In, in, in investing, as you learn, once you get past owning 10 stocks, you should really start thinking, why do I own more than 10 things? Like, okay, this I- is great, because that was going to be one of my questions. I have said i'm gonna go maybe try to build up 20 names 20 learn and then Mm -hmm. pare it back down and double down on the winners because what i learned in private markets was when you have a winning company you have to increase your position or at least defend your position with pro rata and try to go super pro rata and you know i had these early winners whether it was robin hood or uber thumbtack and they did great for me, but I never even thought about pro rata. Now I have these great winners and I see myself building my position up going from 5% ownership to 10 because everything I've learned is if it's a winning company and you can put more money into it and you've already identified it, you vetted the founders, you, you vetted the strategy, you vetted the team, you, you, you don't understand the consumers, keep building that position. So you think 10 is a number you can keep track of and that is just a way to Honestly, you can't. And in a world of Cubanist, Mark Cuban has talked about Americans, unfortunately, are fortunate. Well, I think it's all fortunate. I'm Canadian living in America. So when you walk into a Walgreens, there's just too many choices. Like we're paralyzed, right? So you go find a bandit. Should I get a Power Rangers bandit or a Super Bandit or a Big Bandit? Really, or this one. Yeah. Colors and ribbons. And, 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 and that's the stock market too, right? Like, so at the end of this long bull market that we've had, We can argue about a lot of things, but we had a really good bull market. And most people's portfolios by last year were just spread too thin. We had too many ideas. We had too many companies. We had too many stocks. We had too many stories. That's when bear markets get you. And it'll end up pruning you down anyways, because after six months of losing money, I go, why the fuck do I own this versus, you know? And so those few times during a bear market where markets truly get correlated and everything goes down together... You realize that owning 50 things just didn't diversify you at all. So I think the best thing is, whether it's 30 stocks or 20 stocks, whatever your goal is, and then you know once a month or once a quarter with your financial advisor or yourself, go through it and be honest with yourself. Is this the best use of, of these 10 or 15 or 20 names? And and it's like gardening. If you don't garden, your weeds will take over and it's your, yep. like your portfolio. It's, it's really the same stuff. Yeah. This is what I'm starting to realize about these streaming services. So, I, I, And then we'll move on to some of the other names that I've been picking and, and some other parallels. With these streaming services, it, it feels to me like it, we have never seen a billion subscription service. I was trying to figure out what are the largest subscription services in the world, right? Spotify. Is four, I love Spotify. It's 500 sure. million. Yeah. And so you start thinking about how many people could subscribe to something and the world really hasn't seen that even in the early days, people like HBO or Verizon or AOL, you were talking about 10s of millions. 
Now we're in a world where hundreds of millions of people subscribe to something. Imagine if a billion people are what kind of cash flow? And what kind of moat does that build? It, yeah. it feels to me like the 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 only thing I can think of is really what Facebook would accomplish with two or 3 billion people using their platform, Google with their search dominance and Chrome dominance and YouTube dominance and Amazon. Those yeah. are the only corollaries, I think in the world of products used by more than a billion people, let alone subscribe to by a billion people and those things, they don't seem to die or get dislocated. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of this? Well, we said that until TikTok, right? So I agree with you. And then TikTok comes like everybody's trying to break up Facebook. Guess what broke up Facebook? TikTok. So, Competition. Yeah. Yeah. Comp so even when you're trying to not. So let's let's think about how the world works in, in mysterious ways, right? Like Jurassic Park. How many people have said break up Facebook over the years? Guess what broke up Facebook? TikTok. No, yep. no anti. Listen, should we have broken them up when we did? Yes. But talking about it now when TikTok's already done the work of the government. Yep is one thing. Now, the question I would have, the bigger question is why the fuck is tick like of all the things America needs, should TikTok be one of them? No. Let no. America build it. If, if China does So this is the only time I ever get political is around this type of question. If they have walls in China, a digital walls, we should have digital walls. Of but then we don't should be helping Facebook. So so there's this this question right now, but TikTok disrupted Facebook because TikTok created MTV for every single person. If TikTok created your stream based on whether we like whether we like the algo or not they're the first company it seems to have created a different stream for everybody yes. yet create a trending around everybody that blows my mind i wish i was a user and was young enough to appreciate it or use it or care about it but that is just when you thought it couldn't happen it happened and yeah, it's pretty amazing thing about and I think what TikTok's doing is really going to change the way Web2 companies work. So I have this thesis where Web2, the survivors, the Airbnbs, the Spotify's, the Netflix, the, the Googles, the Facebooks are only going to get stronger, right? This bear market really helps those incumbents, right? Why does um, it do that? I mean, it's pretty obvious, but explain it to people who might not understand that. Yeah, well, again, this is new. So this is my own thesis, right? When 08 happened, the great financial crisis happened, the world was a different place, right? The, you know, the, the name of my firm is Social Leverage, but pre-2008, the world was driven by financial leverage, right? Where people stacked debt on top of debt and they bought buildings and they stacked their balance sheets. There was no such thing as a social network or this, what you could get from that social leverage, right? No one could start a podcast, even though lots of podcasting companies had started, including Odeo, which became Twitter. Everybody was trying to create media, but there was no social network to spread. So what worked was buying radio stations and like owning the stack and like owning the buildings and using debt and using leverage. And then 08 happened. And now we have social leverage, which was like, you could be one, like you and I, like we could be a brand of one. And then you have Shopify and you have all these tools to do it. Now you have TikTok influencers. So we've gone completely to this world of social leverage where your only risk is your time, right? You go down rabbit holes, you go down the wrong rabbit hole, three years go by in your life and it was just your time that went. But at yep. least these companies don't have debt, right? These new companies are magical. Like how do you kill Apple only Apple can kill Apple because they have 400 billion in cash, right? There it's is nuts. no debt. So all these companies have so much cash, which is different than the last crisis we had, which was OA, which was driven by financial leverage. And so this new era of a, of a bear market that we're in, this, this kind of rotating bear market or this tech crash that we kind of just went through or in the middle of, I can't see how you disrupt Apple. Like this only hurts, this only hurts 
the smaller companies because they just can't compete anymore. Yeah, the big so, companies have the war chests. They have the network effects. As you've never seen this, it's just bananas. Yeah, and, just, and, and they they get to deploy capital for talent acquisition, for marketing, for R and D. You know, in a down market, you're probably getting two or three for one for each dollar you spend than in a peak market. So that just solidifies the winners. We saw it with Facebook and Uber and Airbnb during the down market. We saw it during these crises. They just were able to spend through the crises and, and grow. It's been hot as heck this summer, and I've been working my tail off. You see me talking about it. You see my photos. I've been out there on the mountain bike. I've been doing hiking. And you know what? I've been at elevation. And so I have needed to stay hydrated. Also with this crazy work schedule, if you want to up your hydration game, there's only one thing you need to do. You just need to get liquid IV. It tastes great. Reading this ad is the easiest thing in the world because I am addicted to liquid IV's hydration multiplier. 16 ounces of water, two times as fast hydration. Uh, I've been loving the watermelon, the strawberry, so many great flavors. I just rotate them. My chief of staff, Presh, he has been doing uh, liquid IV. He heard about it here on the podcast. He just ordered 20 pounds of it for his runs all over San Francisco. And here's your call to action. It's super easy. Everybody uh, shops at Costco, right? You just grab liquid IV there in bulk. It's an incredible deal. And there's another deal that's just as incredible. If you don't want to go to your Costco, you get 25% off at liquidiv.com and just using my promo code twist, T-W-I-S-T. Think about that. 25% off. That is hugely generous. Liquidiv.com, promo code twist, 25% off. Thanks, Liquid IV. So let's go into what you think of all of, and we'll talk about the downturn here all of these big companies saying hiring freeze and yeah. uh, Sundar saying, I don't know if my employees are that productive here at Google. Maybe everybody needs to work harder. And then Zuckerberg's like, Hey, everybody, if you're not coming to the office or if you're not working hard, you know, this is not the company to be in. And then somebody in the back of the room is like, Hey, can I uh, take my COVID days? Are we going to have COVID days? And mm -hmm. he's like, what are you talking about? Like COVID yeah. days, COVID's over. Like yeah. you don't get emotional days anymore. You need yeah. to come to work. We need to perform. Our stock's been crushed. What do you think of this work from home trend combined with this down market, specifically around talent and young people? Well, I, have to, I own and operate two millennials, so I'll be clear up front that that is, you know, I, I see this firsthand, right? I've boomeranged. I've seen everything. I've seen all the terms because my daughter's downstairs right now. Um, but I have a 24 and a 23-year-old. So I have this privilege of kind of seeing unfortunately unfortunate this this happened millennial to behavior my kids. yeah maybe they're not maybe they're gen z but i call them millennials so so i don't like anything that i've seen now that may not be their fault right they're just like elvis presley and there's always to be there, there was always somebody to hate right like uh george carlin um we hate the we hate facebook and the smartphone the old people right we hate fox news and cnn and for good reason but what are you going to do? Take take the phone away from these kids? It's a magic wand. Like, like how, do you, how do you take magic out of a kid's hand? So it's we're stuck with it. And you and I grew up with the BlackBerry, and we thought we would never give up our BlackBerry. And along came the smartphone. And then we thought, we'll never give up our smartphone. Then the notifications, we turned. I turned mine off. And I yeah, turned I my to. phone over. I'm not looking at my phone right now. I'm bothered that there's comments going on on the side. So I think we go back into this into this new world where, where, where people like this, this podcast generation is phenomenal. Who cares how many people are listening to us? The fact that you and I can have an hour conversation that, that people may get something out of it and you and I get smarter from it is the power of the internet. 
Okay. So, so with the, going back to these kids and, and what this is, I tapped out in like, oh, oh, 2014, because whenever Slack came out, blew my mind, I hated it, hated the whole idea that someone would, an employee would ping stock with saying, oh, the train's down. I'm not coming into work today. I'll just be on Slack. That was like, when I was like, what? That's not acceptable. When I had my first job, I had to show up. Yeah. Figure it Even out. It was just train's down, ahead. take the bus. Walk. So, so WFH work from home. The first yeah. time I saw that, I go, I think I'm too old to be an operator because <laughs> I wanted to kill the first time person that I heard say that. So I was already out of, out of the game in 2014. And that's when I quit basically and said, someone come run this because I don't know how to talk to these people. I don't know how to mentor someone over Slack. I don't know how to, to do any of these things. So I'm not going to be the right answer here, but what I would say is, you know, Fred wrote about it recently too. There's some form of hybrid, any motivated person that's a climber should want to be in the office because that is where you see the boss. Well, you should want to be around the boss or you yeah, should the nexus of power. Smart people. Yeah. It's not just political. It's like, how do you learn? Right. And, Mentorship. And, yeah. And I'm not saying a head of sales can't be over zoom because there are going to be new types of successful salespeople, no doubt, but you got to have both. And I think both skills matter. So I think just we're heading to a point where in-person skills will matter. We'll, you'll be able to get really far ahead with interpersonal skills and showing up and just getting done. But so I, I kind of lie in the middle. I think it's very hard to operate a business in 2022. So I, I actually don't begrudge all the confusion going on because how do you respond? I, you know, we've called it fun employment. People are overpaid, in my opinion. Not 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 in a over over, but in the engineering slash design slash space. Let's say I, I just have to say that people companies can't afford as much cash as out there. You can't afford to pay engineers three hundred grand a year, and that's where Web three comes in and offloading stuff to the blockchain. It's not perfect yet, but there's going to be this hybrid company, just like there's going to be a hybrid workforce that you can offload a lot of this stuff to blockchains and your community build stuff, and you don't have to have them on your payroll. So, so everybody making fun of Web3, it's just because Web3 is way ahead of the hype. The hype's too far ahead of the internet 100%. on this. Yeah. On this well, process. I mean, if, and if you look at what's happening with Dolly, I don't know if you watch this thing where you could say, hey, give me a picture. I heard it's amazing. I, Reed Hoffman was talking about it. And yeah, it's, it's basically like, I don't know if you remember the first thing that came out from the OpenAI program, but you could just say, write me some text, you know, in the voice of Jake Al or Howard or Fred Wilson, and it would like you know, be able to do that. And it could finish that sentences based on this corpus of, you know, all the written, written words on Wikipedia, etc. Well, now you could say, hey, give me a painting of, you know, this person in Monet style, and boom, all of a sudden you got it. Yeah, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that's already starting to happen. There are developer kits, where, you know, um, AI is finishing code for developers as they write, it's predicting what they're going to write. Just like your Gmail is predicting your next three or four yeah. words. It's going to predict so, your so next two sentences. So people are chiming in and we're wrong about scale. I'm I'm, people aren't listening. The web three or into blockchain is great for tasks, not at scales where you can offload things like payment. If you're a company of one and half your customers want to pay in crypto and not pay square, you know, not pay those fees. Great. And they want to pay gas fees. Great. This is just another choice. This is another button on the web. Call it Web3. Ohm and I call it more internet. It's just more internet. There's been three points. I'm an old loser. I'm an old man. But there's three points in my life where I've had an aha moment. The first was YouTube. 
And I called Fred Wilson. I said, Fred, I'm going to build CNBC on YouTube. And Fred said, genius, go do it, and gave me money. And we started Wall Strip. YouTube changed the world. That was the beginning of Web 2. And everybody thought it was stupid, and everybody thought Google was stupid for paying $1.6 billion, one of the great investments of all time. Okay, Greatest, I think it's top three acquisition of all it time. It is, and, and the way Facebook's destroyed Instagram at many levels, Google is growing, YouTube is getting better at many levels. Oh, Best of acquisition of all time. Maybe Maps and Android. Like Google's Android is up there for sure. Yes. Yeah. And Maps uh keyhole that they bought out of arizona so in a world that youtube came along okay so that was the big bang moment for web the the moment for me in web three is even though top shot came, i thought it was a joke the top shot and the flow and, and the nba top shot i really feel like nfts and what they mean for a small community that could be big one day i think everybody's overusing it but i think the ability for someone like gary v or kevin rose or you eventually or me to, to or anybody to take this community that they built and offload a lot of the work to the blockchain and not have to give it to facebook you know use it like a decentralized type of discord product that will eventually exist or yep. you know again i don't haven't seen it yet but we're so close oh you can feel it they're triangulating yeah. around something very triangulating. and yeah. so there was a lot of hype i kind of got lucky in some of it by instead of in participating personally in crypto i invested in funds and i got lucky like i'm not yeah. smart i just diversified well you went to where the energy and the yeah. intelligent people were. But I didn't and understand it, so I just let other people play. Well, you know what? It's a super valid it way works. to do it. Yeah, it it's going to work. And then you, I, it's interesting you bring up NFTs. I literally have been a crypto cynic um, because of all the grifts and et cetera. But I said, crypto cynic. Crypto is yeah. not the right word. Crypto yeah. is bullshit. Like yeah. what matters is the blockchain. And what matters is the ability to offload work to machines. For right. a small company, so I don't have to pay 10 engineers 300 grand a year to start stock twits, right? The problem with, and again, this is learned by doing. The problem with Wall Strip and why I sold Wall Strip is I had no revenue. Like YouTube was just coming out. So what am I going to do? Get to a bad... 20,000 people watched a good show. You're not going to build a business on that. So you, we sold to CBS. When I started StockTwits, the big mistake was, and no one knew at the time, it seemed like a great idea and VCs loved the idea, but like if ads are going to be your ultimate model, we've learned that that's a bad business, even for Twitter, because they're undervalued because Google and Facebook took all the, and now TikTok will take all the ads. And we're seeing that with Snapchat's price and Pinterest Scale price. business. Yeah, and those players have sucked Scale business. Yeah. So, so people that wanted to bid subscale, people had the talent like me to just build a subscale business, but had like passion and creativity are fucked by Web2 because it was all AWS and Facebook and the social networks and the logins. You know, they owned you, right? And, and so you're kind of puttering along. And Web3 promises to offload a lot of that that you would spend at AWS and through the payment networks. And that's what people should be excited about is taking those expensive parts of web 2.0 and kind of defraying those costs so you can build a leaner web company. That's what web three is about. So that's very interesting. I haven't heard people have that take, but it does resonate because, with me because, because it's not in their interest because they have 600 million to deploy and they're over investing at overvaluations in hype. Whereas Web3 should mean how do, how do the, the people that lost in Web2 that had the passion and idea that were powered by Web2. And once you start seeing those builders of Web2 that kind of got run over, whether it's dig by Reddit or, you know, once you start seeing those people reinvent themselves, even a, a, a 20 years later, you realize those same 
entrepreneurs that understood the web and and the, yes, and the community are coming back and doing it a, a second time, even in their older age, is very mm-hmm. exciting to me. And I'm yeah. I, but I don't think I want to build the next Facebook. I don't mm-hmm. delude myself that we're going to invest in the next Facebook. I just think it's a different, more fun web. And yes. So when the car, when the automobile first came out, it, if you if if you had to drive it in the dark or it was raining, it didn't work. There were no windshield wipers. There were no lights. Right. You were just happy that the car went and that was the Internet. Web three is just fog lights. It's it's windshield wipers. It's all those things that made the car the great thing that it is today. All right. The second half of the baseball season has started and it's time to turn big hits into big wins with FanDuel Sportsbook. And listen to this offer right now. New customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's right. All you have to do, use the promo code TWIST when you sign up. You place your first bet and FanDuel will give you up to 1000 back in free bets if you don't win. I'm looking at the Knicks here. I'm looking at the Golden State Warriors. I think maybe I'm going Golden State to win uh, the Western Conference. Maybe I'm going with my Greek brother, Giannis, and uh, the Bucks to win the Eastern Conference. That seems like good odds to me, but you know, you got to make your own decision. I love placing a nice bet, so I have a little passion coming into the season. And here's why FanDuel is the best place for you to follow your passion. You can place one of those bets that re-engages you in the season. Well, they have great promotions every day. And the app is safe and secure, and you're going to get paid fast. You can trust FanDuel. The best place to bet on America's pastime is on America's number one sports book. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with the code TWIST to get started with your no sweat first bet up to $1,000. Yeah, I I think these NFTs, when they have rights associated with them, smart contracts associated with them, decentralized, you know, management of them, DAOs, um, and, and that's really what I find it fascinating. Imagine somebody had a golf club or you and I want to start a poker club or a golf club. And we say, yeah, we're going to email our thousand closest friends, get 200 of them to put up 25k each, all of a sudden, we've got this cash sitting around. And we then go build this club. And now your membership is your membership, you decide what you want to do with it. But hey, this smart contract get gives for right of first refusal to another member to buy it at the same price within seven days of somebody else putting a bid in. And you're like, Okay, how do I build that? It's like, well, the infrastructure is here. Okay, whose infrastructure is where do I put my credit card? And it's like, Oh, no, you, you just pay a fee. And it, it's all done. And it's nobody's infrastructure. What do you mean? It's Correct. nobody's infrastructure? Well, it's not nobody's. It's everybody's. I, I still don't. It's like a Laurel and Hardy routine. Like it's everybody's infrastructure. It's nobody's infrastructure. It's like, yeah, yeah there's just some servers up there. And some people run those servers. And we don't know who they are. And I think a lot of magical will be mixed. A lot of small companies will have centralized databases for your email and phone number. And then they'll have a blockchain database where people tell you private stuff that they don't want you selling. And you don't know that part of their world. So I see all kinds of communities where that's possible. I think two big bang moments in crypto for me were, were even though I'm not participating in board apes, the idea of, of collectibles is cool. And what board apes did was like being, I think they may, I, I hate what they did later by raising outside capital. Cause the whole point of what made board apes was genius because they were collecting a royalty every time it traded. That was yeah, the they, genius. They didn't three. need outside money, but they also made it, but the, but I'm not going to judge them for taking it. I'm just saying once they took it, it was not interesting to me because the whole genius of that was the system. We can collect 20%. So that was a big bang moment. I hated where they went with it. God bless them. The second big bang moment was when uh, my friends, Mike and and Serge sent me Linkstow or or Adam Bensivnik sent me Linkstow. And I, and I loved the, I don't like DAOs, but I loved the idea. Explain the idea. 
the links I was, it's, I didn't, I, when they pitched me on it, I'm like, guys, I don't want to be paid 2000 in Ethereum for golf. I loved everything about the golf community idea of being a member of something. I hated the idea that they were going to go buy a golf club. I, I've been in the golf business a long time. I was an investor in golf. Now I know the tea time business. I know how hard that business is. The last thing I want to do is trust some people to build a golf course for me. Cause I don't think it'll get built. I think it's hard to run a golf course. It's not just a bar and food. You've got grass, greenskeeper, weather, location. So, so I love when they pitched it to me, I said, I love everything about this, but don't build a golf course, just build like a, a community. And maybe one day you'll buy a golf course, but you don't have to promise that up front. So I didn't buy a membership, but I think what combining what, what, what NBA top shot is with a public blockchain, with board apes, with what LinkStow is doing, these comp, the triangulation that you mentioned, the, the, if you can really look at the kernels of things that are happening around Web3, I think the great entrepreneurs are about to attack in a way that creates these hugely profitable, quick businesses that don't need a lot of capital and then they can iterate on their businesses as they grow. And that's what's exciting about Web3 or more Web to me. Okay, so now one of the key issues here, of course, is, uh, are these securities, we have had a, I would say laissez faire uh, regulatory environment, where yeah. there's just been no clarity. And then all of a sudden, uh, you have this XRP lawsuit, um, because XRP is obviously centrally controlled, uh, yeah. and they own the bulk of it, they control it, etc. It's obviously doesn't pass, uh, you know, mustard, uh, like, Bitcoin and Ethereum, where nobody's in charge, it's, you know, not a, uh, doesn't feel like a security. But Coinbase has people front running the market, OpenSea had some people doing insider trading. And now the Justice Department, the SEC, and everybody's like, you know what, this has gone on long enough, people have lost 90% of their money, there are actual victims. Mm -hmm. Now we're here. Uh, and by the way, these eight, they're not really here. They're lazy. They're understaffed. And okay. he's not a lawyer. Gensler's not a lawyer, which is a big mistake to not have somebody who, went, who truly is a securities lawyer running the SEC. Uh, the amount of fraud and shenanigans is endless, right? As a founder of StockTwits and someone who spends all day on ThinTwit and denounces Reddit and all this stuff, even though Reddit has done some amazing things. You know, we, we've gotten what we've asked for, which is just, that's what crypto was. You want 24-7 bulletin board markets? I could have told you where that was going to head. That's going to head up with like scams galore. Okay, you want endless supply? Guess what happens with endless supply? Zero pricing. And all your anonymity are worthless. Or quasi anonymity. So this was a disaster. That's why I avoided it. And you know, I'm I'm still very skeptical of it. But the next iteration will be less securities, right? Like I'm hiring lawyers to make sure my NFT isn't a security, meaning I'm hiring a lawyer to, to bless this as a non-security, meaning I don't want this trading, but trading is part of what a good NFT is. If you add Endless value. So you think about American Express in a world where everybody can create a platinum community and offload a lot of that to the blockchain, including you or me or Kevin Rose or anybody um, can create the what is Amex's great tagline that's stood the test of time. Membership has its benefits. And who owned that tagline? Amex. Okay. And in Web3, everybody can create uh, communities where membership has its benefits. The job of the community or the person running the community or the DAO or whatever you want to call this is continue to add benefits to that community. And if that, if you add enough benefits and you create true scarcity, guess what happens to the price? It goes up. 
Yes. Okay. So, so as it should, because there's actual real world value. Correct. And so utility is what Web3 should be about. The VCs have made it about this newfangled thing. And I've avoided the hype because I don't want to pay over. I don't want to overpay for things that I don't believe have the, the market size. But utility is undervalued. And I think where Web3 goes is to people that say, that's what. I'm only going to have 2,000 of these members. And I'm going to create so much benefit that if someone moves or just doesn't want to be part of the community, there's a market for it because there'd be happily someone that steps in. And those yeah. trade. They don't trade every day, but then you have a happy community. And yeah, so I think that's sense. where we go. It's not going to be, I think they'll no, still wait, you're going to do your own. You're going to do your own like yeah, Kevin yeah. Rose's moon. Uh, yeah, I think what I, what I'm seeing him don't do with proof, what I've seen Linkstow do, what I've seen Gary V do, what I've seen myself and what I wish I could do at stock twits and wall strip and my blog at Twitter and what I've seen board apes do. And what I've seen flow do at blockchain. I think if you take the pieces of this, and really have a community and explain to them why you're doing something and and be upfront with them about the steps that you're going to take, which I've done at StockTwits, which I've done on my own blog, but now I can possibly do at scale um, using Web3. Why not? Like, I'm actually excited about starting something. Yeah, it, it's fascinating to me to think about when the membership is in control of the experience, the product. And then they have some liquidity. Hey, if, if this isn't working for you, you could sell it. Or if this yeah. becomes too valuable and you need to sell it, you could sell it or you could fractionalize it. So many yeah. really interesting ideas. Yeah. Uh, with now, what happens is, of course, people will speculate. The engineers know how to buy these things. And I, I can't help that. Like, I don't know. Like, we don't have all the answers. But what I can tell my community is don't speculate. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm only making 2,000 of these. I hope I'll try and give them to the people that really want them. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you don't speculate. So, but you can't control speculation. Who are you going after with this? It's just going to be Howard uh, coins? I don't know. I was thinking about a comedy angle and a cycling angle. I'm, I've invested in so many, like, e-commerce ideas and I've, you know, stuck to You can't. So, I, it's, it's a work in progress, but I've never had more fun. I love and the it, idea of the comedy one because you have yeah. these great comedy festivals, right? And yeah. that could be truly amazing if you got to have access to comedians. Well, not just that. So imagine a world, and, I, and I'm probably not going to do this, but and someone's going to do this in comedy. Imagine a world. Imagine a world where I, I, I just did stand-up comedy. To I rented I a club. Yeah, so I rented a club in New York called The Stand. And I just made it for friends. And we had eight real professional stand-ups. And I got to do three minutes. Okay, because I own the night. How'd you do? How'd you do? I, I didn't bomb. Uh, that counts. It was a friendly crowd. And the home I, team know, crowd know counts. Me. Yeah, people know me. Okay, so so it worked. And I was thrilled to, to like do it and then be roasted by other comedians who didn't know me and they were making fun of NFT. The comics were happy. They get paid. I was happy. I got to do it on a professional stage. No one was hurt. Everybody yeah, had right. a good time. Okay, so imagine if I, if I were to build the comedy community that I want to build. It would start with a newsletter. It could be on Substack. It could be on Beehive. It could be on whatever program. And now I, I send out an email. I said, listen, we're going we're gonna to have a thousand members. And anybody who's a member, I'm going to create this class pass for comedy that allows you discounts at all these comedy clubs around the country. Meaning at the beginning, there may not be any benefits, but this is my goal. We're going to build a club one day where you're going to get you discounts. It's like AAA of comedy. Oh, and by the way, the next level, when once we get, you know, once everybody's happy, we're going to create a second level NFT uh, that might cost 30 grand. 
But guess what? That Now that we have partnerships with 30 clubs, uh, for those holders of 30 grand, it's like a black card. And when you want to go on stage, right, ah. you can go on stage. So Love imagine it. imagine having a comedy black card three years from now that you've earned and you're a stand-up comic and you never could break on stage and you know you're funny and you see that at, at the stand that Dave Chappelle is showing up at 930 and you have a black card. And you can do three minutes before Dave Chappelle. Would you do nice. that? Of course. of course you would yeah. do that. And yeah. guess you would invite you and invite all your friends. That would be your Instagram moment. And you paid for it and you could get discovered. And it's a way to hack the system. And so I think those type of things, the gaming yeah, mechanics, yeah. yeah, the gaming mechanics of it, this is all going to happen. And people are yeah. going to create these ex incredible communities and moments around this stuff. It's really fascinating. I think you know, once we get through, it's one of the nice things about the whole thing crashing is that I think the incentive resets. I can get it resets involved. it. Now you're back to builders and what's actually legal, and you got a little bit of a regulatory framework emerging. Yeah. And so, you know, and when people are new entrants, they're like, okay, hey, I don't want to get in the crosshairs of anybody. Make sure that this is uh, clean to everybody. All right, let's go through my portfolio really quick here. Okay. I'll give you my thesis. Mm -hmm. You tell me if you think good thesis or not. We did Disney already. Uh, I bought 250 shares. I'm up like 13%. Uh, nice little modest. Remember, this is a lot of it is you bought it in June when everybody was yeah, selling. July, so August. Yeah. So the so first lesson I would say, and I told my kids this, is don't think about each stock. Think about red, green. If you see the market red for a month in a row, two months in a row, right? Train yourself to just do the opposite. And when right. you see green endlessly for months and months on it, forgetting chat rooms, forgetting anything, take a little bit off the table. Ah, so train yourself to do the opposite. So the fact that you started in June proves that you have good instincts, right? You've, you've, you may not be good at stocks. None of us are that great at stocks. That's why the in indexes exist. But you do have instincts. You do have a network that gives you insight. And you were attuned to the fact how negative you were and the people around you were. And you were seeing prices that you hadn't seen in years. And you exactly. did the opposite. So part That's of it what is I did. I said this feels to me part like a be Costanza. So part of good investing is to be Costanza and do the opposite. So just when you feel like puking, mm. eat another sandwich. Meaning, and especially if you own good companies and they're going to be around in 10 years. Okay. If you've done your gardening. So the first thing you did right was start in June. So kudos yeah. for that. Okay. Now I gave you my Disney premise, and my goal was in 10 years, I want to 5x my money beat the indexes, etc. So 5x cash on cash is hard. That's what the top venture firms do. But I also want to learn and um, just understand these because I want to know when I should liquidate my private market companies when they go public as well. As we saw both of us early shareholders of Robinhood, there were opportunities maybe to, you know, sell at 20 or $30 a share in the private markets. And now here we are, whatever we're trading at 10 or 12. I saw Amazon. And I thought to myself, this one medical really great uh, acquisition. Uh, and this guy Jassy seems to be firing on all cylinders. But the thing that I thought was a great moment in time was when I saw that they were going to get rid of Amazon basics. I said to myself, they're watching Lena Khan. They know the vector of attack. If they get rid of Amazon basics and then they let everybody else fight it out, all those idiots who got to fight it out to sell a goddamn USB cable are now going to buy ads. So yeah. they win either way, but they remove the attack vector because they don't have a house brand. I thought somebody's thinking over there in a way that maybe Zuckerberg or Google aren't thinking about avoiding regulatory. Yeah. Uh, so I make a bet there. And I just think, my God, they got like, and then you see the cloud computing stuff and how that's growing. They just seem to be firing on all cylinders and yeah. excellence. That's why I bought Amazon.
Yeah. Well, I'm up 6.7%. I, I own Amazon. Part of why, if your timing was good, when you're buying companies like that, you have to buy them when no one likes them because there's no alpha when everybody likes them. They're, they're, they're incredibly fully valued. They can't afford to make mistakes. They are getting smarter. So I do agree with what you're saying. One, medical's tiny sure. in terms of what it could mean. And we all, uh, I've made some healthcare investments. It's a brutal space. Um, Horrible space. Yeah. But I do own Amazon. So no argument there. And the reason I thought the healthcare thing was good was because I think the Amazon Prime franchise, yeah, people are paying like 150 bucks a year for Amazon Prime now. Yeah. It started at 40, 50, 60, depending on when you got in. Yeah. They keep boiling that frog. If they made Amazon Prime 250 right now, nobody's canceling. Like If they made it two grand and called it Platinum Prime for people that want a one plus, a one medical same day appointment, yeah. wealthy people would pay that. So there should mm -hmm. be tiers. This goes to the Netflix you know, yes. we can argue at Reed for changing his mind. Guess what? Everybody, Steve Jobs changed his mind eventually. Sure he did. You have to change your mind. And yes. and sometimes you're wrong. And so with, Reed with new information, in. that's what you do. Reed stepped in. He's changing his he's changing the model. What Amazon's doing by adding advertising, you're saying. By adding advertising. Some people yes. should pay nothing and some people will pay. I'll pay Amazon, I'll pay Netflix three hundred dollars a month if they make my algorithm better and do, can give me more content. Like I trust them, you know, so there should be tiers. Absolutely. There's going to be an Amazon prime platinum. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind. Yeah. Um, and I think you, one that's my will be bet a, is that there'll be Amazon sure. platinum and I'm happy course, to pay that price. I'll, right, we I'll talked a little bit about Warner brothers discovery. I just don't know the name. So, I don't, I don't so here's the thing. You got Zaslav who ran discovery. I saw him at a couple of like those private conferences. You're not supposed to say you got invited to guys, a killer. HBO killing it on their originals. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? Look at how good Marvel's done. Look how bad DC is. Mm -hmm. Zaslov's going to come in there and he's going to Marvel DC. And that's that an opportunity. Like a trade. Is that like a trend that you could ride for? Again, when I'm well, owning, this is, I've changed my okay. philosophy over the years. And again, I'm changing it again after this bear market. Equities to me at 56 years old means a lot less to me than equities at 30 years old. Mm. So to me, indexing, you know, I don't know how old you are. You're probably in your late 40s or early 50s. 51, yeah. Okay. So you'll see as yeah, as I do more private investing and as I've become luckily wealthier, T-bills and cash and, and, and indexing mm. is just easier for that yes. part of my life than picking stocks. So, mm. so I'm avoiding things that I don't have complete faith in. So I don't know that story. So here's the thing. They got 92 million paid subs. I think they're going to be like the number two three player behind Netflix and Disney. I think that whole space is going to be great. TSM, Nancy Pelosi goes, causes chaos in Taiwan. Everybody's mm -hmm. like, oh my God, mm -hmm. kind of risk. I said mm -hmm. to myself, you know what? I think there's mutually assured destruction here. I don't think there's going to be a war with China. There's just too much to lose. And I think Taiwan, it's going to be this nebulous situation and uh, people don't didn't like TSM. So I, I decided this would be a good time for me to buy it since everybody's down on it. Yeah. Same um, chips. I've been burned so many times in chips mm. and I've missed this uh, chip. What, anything when you're betting on something that goes inside something else, the person with the power like Apple has all the power. So if you want to own chips, own Apple because they own the whole system. So interesting. I'm going to keep that I, in you mind. Know, so I, I just chips is complicated. So I just I just don't want exposure to semiconductors. And then I went with Shopify because Shopify has gotten murdered. But I saw Toby, who I really respect, saying, listen, I made a mistake. You know, this uh, pandemic bump in e-commerce, 
has gone back down to the mean. It's now the normal trajectory. So I'm getting rid of, you know, this many employees, like really serious riff. I don't know if it was a thousand people or something. Yeah. And he th takes the medicine. And I think Shopify is the best platform for all these retailers. And I said, you know what, this seems like great management, great product. Um, and everybody's down on it uh, post pandemic. And I'm, I'm I, so I made that trade. Any thoughts yeah. on that? Very long Shopify. I've been wrong. I, I was right on the way up, sold some. I think what, what bugs me about Toby, even though he's probably a mad genius, I've never met him, is that all these guys, all these Web2 people, if we're not around in 08, this is our first bear market. And I remember him screaming about like how the market's wrong. The market's not wrong. The market wasn't wrong when your stock was going up 1,200%. You weren't a genius then and you're not an idiot now. It's just the market. So I, I definitely, these were bull market companies and they were poorly governed in many ways because they got so big and he's got the voting power. So he can say what he wants now because he has full control of his company. But is the product great? Do I love the product? Yes. Is, is buying it in June a great idea? I, I think it's a great idea. Uh, for the people that own it at 1,000 and 1,200, it may take a long time to get back there you know, a hundred, you know, so it's just where you buy these great products and brands matter. June was a great buy for Shopify. I own it. All right. Now one I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing August 25th Peloton's going to give their results. Yeah. I am in love with the Peloton product, the community you got 2 million people, the subscription yeah. price is absurd. They just raise their subscription price in a down market to 42 or 44 bucks a month. I didn't cancel. I yeah. think this is a, a great company. They got new leadership in they're cleaning it up. But they got a little bit of the risk of ruin. They don't got a lot of cash on hand. Any thoughts on Peloton? Well, I loved it all Take the out way candidate? out. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of my 8 to 80 kind of ideas. I think they had a chance to beat Lulu and to really put the pressure on Nike. And it goes to one of those companies that started believing their own bullshit. You know, they bad government. I don't know what it was, but when that stock is at 120, 130, 140, for them not to recognize that they should diversify their business then. So I don't trust a company that that just makes that big a blunder, right? They had yeah. everything going for them. They had passed the market cap of Lulu. They could have yeah. used that. They could have done a merger of equals. They could have been creative sure. and tried things. So I think I get worried about companies that implode mm -hmm. because now it's going to take so much for them to get their momentum back. And Absolutely. I'm a Peloton user and now it's become furniture because I don't want to pay 50 bucks a month. It's not worth ah. it to pay 50 bucks a month because I'm not in it for the community. I was in it for the workout. Got and it. The fact that I can't listen to Spotify or watch Netflix is ridiculous. That is a that fatal. is so infuriating that you spend all this money on. I had to tread. How Why can't I log into my Netflix or my YouTube? How funny would it be? If I was doing a stock market, why can't I do, why can't I put my community on Peloton and people can watch me lead a class at 7 a.m. for the first half hour of the market? Wouldn't Absolutely. that help Peloton? Wouldn't that help Peloton? Of course, uh, make it a platform. Laugh? Wouldn't it be? Make yes. it so, a platform. So I'm a YouTuber. I'm Mr. Beast. I, uh, I, Jimmy's trying to lose a little weight. Mr. Beast goes on there and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to do 10 days in a row on my Peloton or my tread. And I'm just going to take questions yeah. from the audience. There's a ca put a camera on it. Bang, we're done. Done. Easy breezy. Instead, I got to listen to someone yelling at me with a playlist that I don't yeah, like. Yeah, no. Was, no. And they got some impossible body that nobody's ever going to have. It was insulting. 
Yeah. And, and as someone and, who loved Peloton, I'm infuriated, not at the stock. I'm infuriated at the management and governance for not. And this is what happened with even Robinhood and a lot of companies. There's just a lack of understanding of how capital markets work and this, this belief that they were invincible. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some invincible companies. Apple's invincible. It didn't happen overnight. And, it's a process. And you got to make good process. trades, though. As you're saying, Robinhood did the right thing. They raised $5 billion when the market yeah. was hot. That was a great trade. Where was Peloton? Why didn't they? Did they do a secondary and put $5 mm-hmm. billion in their coffers? No. No. Why didn't they buy Tonal? Why didn't they buy Hydra? Why didn't they Why have didn't a they series? Get into the fashion business. They yeah, should buy the a brand. Culture. Yeah, buy a brand. Get, you know, buy something. Do a secondary, takes- you know? Like, I mean, Tesla bought, did so many secondaries on the way up. Their stock kept going up. They kept if issuing more demand, shares. sell stock, improve your yes. balance sheet. Lesson right, number one. Lesson this number has one. been an hour with Howard Linton. Howard, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Uh, always great as usual. No insults. You didn't call me Hitler Youth. You no Nazi. Well. Your hair looks a little better, maybe because it's receding. I've That's never... part of it. Yes, it's shorter and receding. After you told so me about the comb over issues, right. I tightened looked... it up a little bit. I tightened it up. Yes. It looks less third Reich. Yes, I, I, and I like kind the gray. Uh, That's what I, I went I for. Say, when I, I told will say this to a few haters who have okay. come on here is like crypto. Okay, people who are mad about whether we call this Web three or crypto, they are the problem. Okay, this is just the internet because yeah. this is just the internet. It's the okay? internet I'm with a new. You want to yeah. call it crypto? Call it crypto. Okay, if you're fighting me about what we call it, I don't trust you. Okay, this is just more internet. Okay, like if you want to fight with me over what we call it, I never want to follow you. I don't want to hear your opinion because you're lost in the. You're the problem, not the solution. This is interesting. You say this. I just did a tweet about this. We are, you know, people have lost the script when all they want to do is argue semantics. Was Trump's was Trump? uh, They were having this whole semantic thing. Were they searching Mar-a-Lago or was it a raid? These words mean the same thing. They showed up. They took what they needed. The judge told them to do it. Is it a recession or is it a downturn? Is it too sequential? Okay, listen. It's a, we all know it's a downturn or recession. It's the same thing. We'll Here's get the definition important. in three to six months. This is why people should learn to invest. Who cares what the term is? What's exactly. your portfolio doing? That right. is the true chess. What is the value of your portfolio? That, Thank there you. is a recession. If your portfolio is down 40%, yeah. you're in a recession. You're not going to spend what you did. Who cares what the media calls it? You, The home you wanted to buy is no longer you're buying it. The furniture you were going to buy at Restoration Hardware, you're yep. no longer buying it. The you're not going to Italy. You're going. Data. The yeah, government going does to... not know that data. You know that data. We've been in a recession for a year. Open your eyes. You just yeah. look in front of you. and Live. It... Look at your right. spending. You're in a recession. So this is and... the problem. And then people are like, oh my God, Biden said we had 0% inflation and it, we had 8.5%. Okay. We're talking about two different numbers, month over month, year over year. Both are valid numbers. Just say both numbers. We don't have to sit here and argue over semantics constantly. Face reality. And you guys do it on your show. It's brilliant. The marketing. You guys are good media people. Good media people argue over semantics because they grow their audience. The reason I started Wall Street and thought YouTube was going to destroy the world and why Twitter should have destroyed the world or taken over the world and been Bloomberg is you had a chance to get rid of media. The media was the people. Instead, it just got taken over by the media. And that was because of an ad-based world. The next generation of the internet allows people to back away from their computers, listen to smart people, 
get in out of the rabbit holes and and really engage with people that can make them smarter the way you and I got mentored by people in web one and web two and, and are yeah. mentoring people now. What an opportunity. This, this is the key. If you're watching like the the mainstream media, whether it's Fox or MSNBC or anything in between, they're just trying to keep you engaged to sell more eyeballs to get more ads. And it's all nonsense. Like nonsense. When you look at podcasting, and you and I have a conversation for an hour, or Joe Rogan has a three hour one or Lex Friedman or all in or you know, your pockets, you you start to see hear people having thoughtful discussions about real things and going deeper. And guess what? Like, this is how you have a great life is that you come closer to the truth by having considered discussions, not being the product You're, you know, the media is just just trying Use to your head. listen, we can argue everything we want about Trump, the data shows he's a criminal. Why, how they end up getting him is not my problem, and it's his <laughs> problem. I don't know if we'll get him, but the point is, he's been a lifelong criminal. He's been above the law for a very long time. That is a problem in America. It's not just Trump. It could be Clinton. It could be Pelosi. It could be Soros. That's Hunter Biden. Problem. Yeah. Could be all these people. Hunter Biden. I get it. He's an idiot. Don't have to yeah. convince me. Doesn't mean that Trump's Richter. not a criminal. Yes. Okay. It doesn't mean that Elon's not crazy for promoting Dogecoin on Saturday Night Live. Like it doesn't mean that it. <laughs> I it have no comment. <laughs> no, but you know it doesn't take away that he's a great entrepreneur. But yeah. I also disagree that he's talking about Dogecoin because he has a responsibility. <laughs> so I'm saying you can separate the two. You can have Republican thoughts and Democratic thoughts. You can agree with Fox. You can agree with CNN. The idea is to not yell. Uh, every every if you're in a point where you're yelling at people on the internet you are the problem and 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 that's why you know i love the internet i know how to separate me being the problem from other be people being the problem and you know people need to be able to use this ain't going away no this ain't going away no i mean that we've we've passed the rubicon here we're going to have to ad adapt to what's happening in the media what's happening on social media fake news and then these two polar extremes, this crazy MAGA right, crazy, woke, insane, hysterical left. Yeah. M most people are right in the middle. A and that's what I'm hoping, like this whole system breaking. I think that it gets rebuilt through podcasting, through NFTs, DAOs, people starting to self-organize and find their own version of truth. Trust yeah. yourself is my overriding message. No, we have the, we live in this great era of mobility for most, not all, but for most, especially within the United States. <laughs> What a miracle. So, I mean, that's, I, I, I go to the mobility and say it, we're mobile. You don't need a car. You can, you can vote where you live. Uh, you can help, uh, you can run for mayorship. You, you can do all these incredible things and people would still rather yell on the internet, which is, you know, I refuse to engage in, you know, it's a, it's just some, some of the stuff that I'm seeing is really unbelievable. I'm really excited about some of the stuff that I'm starting to see. They went through a two, three year period. I was really hating on, you know, the way the market was behaving and the way the government was behaving. Now we're getting some chaos. And from this chaos, there's a lot of good. Sometimes things have to have a boom bust cycle for there to be regrowth and some yeah. personal development, some corporate yeah. development, societal development. And it does feel like we're getting there because the toxicity in politics, media and crypto, and even markets was getting to a point of acuteness where I was just like, you know, what, I'm tapping out, I just don't want to participate. And yes, then as part of it breaks down, you have to tap out the Fed politicy. We, we politicize the Fed, which is probably the worst thing we've ever done, even though most people don't understand. Why? Explain it. that to people. Because the Fed, we, we, we became numb to volatility. 
right? Everybody got used to the fact that the Fed will protect us and the market will go up 10% a year. And, you know, then we had the great financial crisis and Obama, you know, and then you had QE1 and QE2. And then Trump, who was a master at this, you know, and a master of many things media, but a master at just making you sque- making the pain have i believe he probably had the greatest group of insider traders working for him again i'm not a conspiracy theorist but like it was too obvious to create that much pain and then relieve the pain knowing what was going to be the end result was just if he wasn't making money off this stuff he's crazy he's dumb it was so i believe this this I, this lack of, of volatility that we had inspired in the public markets was not good mm. and yeah people started to believe people started only go up 12% a year or 15% a year. Or, you know, uh, my salary is going to go up 25k a year, or, you know, uh, I am entitled to work from home in every possible the level of entitlement across the board. VC is entitled, I can always raise another fund founders, I can always do a bridge round. There was no acceptance of the reality of how hard capitalism is. And when capitalism becomes that easy, I had founders who, you know, they would come to me and be like, this is the third bridge. Why are we not getting a series A? And it's like, well, you know, we pivoted. Okay, fine. Okay, we pivot again. Okay, fine. That happens sometimes. Uh, well, who's our customer? Yeah, you know, well, we're going to speak at this TED conference. And then I got this thing. I'm, do- I'm like, who's our customer? What problem are we solving for them? How are we delighting a customer? And, you know, the now I'm seeing it come home to roost. These same people who raised three bridge rounds in a row. Oh, my, my pre series A, my series A extension, my yeah. series A two. They can't raise the bridge. And yeah. they're like, okay, we're shutting down. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, we're going to get some losers and then we're going to have things that fail. I can accept that. But it went on for five years, four years of, you probably must have seen this in your portfolio where you're like, how do they do it? How do they keep raising a bridge? Yeah, I mean, we're, no we're starting to really see what failure looks like again. And it's fine. Like, it's not fun. Uh, we're not rooting for failure, but that is unfortunately how you get growth is by having failure. And uh, the public markets are, 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 have been too easy. Um, I benefited from it. I loved it. But, you know, the trick is not to think you're a genius from it. And this is where we were talking about Peloton. I think they woke up, saw their stock price, and they're like, leave me alone. We know what we're doing. Yeah, Let's we know what we're more. doing. Let's build more hardware. Everybody else is wrong. We shouldn't open our system. Why would we have Netflix? Uh, and they started believing it because the stock price made them believe it. And that's the difference between public and private is seeing the price affects behavior. Yeah, and, th- and the behavior there should have been, hey, we're up so much, like, uh, this isn't reality. Let's take advantage of this moment. How can we capture this moment? Where, you know, hey, listen, we're, we're getting too much credit, right? Uh, and they had and $160 currency to go do that. And they did nothing. Nothing. They sat and on their hands. And oh, we've yeah. seen Crocs, we've seen a million companies do this when their stock goes up for no reason. It read it. And so the companies that, that are smart use the stock price. What did Zuck do? What did Zuck do? Right. He paid, he used his WhatsApp. We also used cash. Instagram. So he did both. Yes. And he still does it. We've been lucky a few times with Facebook buying Oculus. I mean, the guy, and what did Google do? Yeah. Android, YouTube. Man, they just went. I mean, God, so I mean, there is what? this corp dev. I think what I love about Twitter is acting like corp dev for all these companies and no yes. one's listening to me. I, I like to, that's the f- best thing about learning on the internet is like you get in hindsight to look and go, man, like stock prices. What the great thing is you'll get addicted about stock prices. You'll really start to see how the companies made mistakes and you really start to see how patterns start looking the same. Yes. And if you look at Nike versus Peloton, Nike is 
a great company because they've had their Peloton moments and come through them. Uh, and I just don't think Peloton, they just, they, they, they miss the boat. Uh, Ruloff has a good name for this crucible moments, right? And there are crucible moments. And sometimes, you know, people don't pass those moments. All right, listen, yeah. Howard, thank you so much for the time. Bye bye. All right, everybody, it's time for producer Rachel and OK Boomer. What is your internet connection bad? My God, I know. Back and the lighting's terrible. House. What's going on? Right? Oh, you're back at mom and dad's house. Yep. All right, I have an idea for you. Uh -oh. How about getting mom and dad a Starlink for Christmas? I <laughs> saw, I saw that that has been commented before. It's looking like yes. it's looking like the the best option. Okay. All right, listen, uh, everybody's going crazy for your OK Boomer segments. They love that you are taking chances, interviewing all these young, energetic Gen Zs. Uh, yeah, it's once in a while a millennial, but yeah, they're kind of annoying, I guess. What do you got for us this week? This week, I have a Gen Z. Don't worry. Uh, his name is Ben, and he runs a co-living space in New York City. It's called oh. Goal House. And together we talk about why so many young people are gravitating towards co-living. He also has a really interesting background. He actually grew up in New York with two dads, but he talks more about oh, that sure. over on his TikTok. Uh, mm. He, most people probably know him from over there. He is at Becoming Ben and he has over 85,000 followers. Wow. You know, that TikTok thing's getting big and uh, it does seem to be driving awareness in business. So, you know, more and more I see Gen Z investors or CEOs taking to it. And I, you know, I look at it as an, an okay boomer over here, uh, Gen Z, Gen X, of course, but kind of get lumped into the okay boomer category. Um, I look at it, and I'm like, I don't know if I could be that silly on air, you know, dancing and doing silliness. But I do look at it and go it's effective. But I just don't think a 51 year old Gen Xer should be doing these dances. What do you think? Should I embrace this fully, Rachel? Should mm -hmm. I be doing silly stuff and doing like the Lizzo? It's about damn time. And if I did a version of that, how ridiculous would I look? So I don't know necessarily if you have to embrace the silliness because a previous founder we had on, so I've had quite the past few followers have had pretty big internet presences, but one of them in particular named Marcus, who is giant on TikTok now, um, doesn't post silly content. He posts even stuff just as simple as like how his stuff is manufactured and how they package it before sending it off. Ah. So I think the content that is the most evergreen is actually not the silly content. I think the silly content is, though, what makes people blow up first. So I guess it just got depends it. on what approach you want to do. Mm. Yeah. So if you want to get caught up in the mix, you got to kind of get one of those sound loops. Uh, interesting. I I am I like chef reactions. That's why I'm on TikTok. Oh, I love I, that. I comment on every one of his reactions <laughs> because he's just such a crazy, like New Yorker, cynical chef who's just like, ah, I'd smash this twelve out of ten. Um, and he, he, or he's just like, this is absolutely gross. And he just people's technique for cooking. He's just like, oh yeah, you could have done that in a mixing bowl. Oh great, you're using a fork with a nonstick pan. Great, you know, like he he's just watching. Oh, great knife technique, and it's actually really educational as to like what's important, right? And this person's yeah. putting like nutmeg on pasta and he's like oh nutmeg on pasta yeah that makes a lot of sense it's <laughs> like oh interesting i you know as much as i want to see tiktok banned and have it moved to other platforms for the having the ccp monitoring all of this i do appreciate that new content formats are coming out from here so i wonder how do young people think about this story that keeps coming up about the ccp and tiktok and perhaps it eventually getting banned do they even think about it do they care or they're like ah, if it goes away 
I'll just move all my followers over to another platform because the the chef's reaction guy was saying my videos are getting banned for no reason. Everybody follow me over at Instagram. I'm going to be over there when they finally kill, kill my account. So how do young people look at this CCP issue? I definitely don't think as many young people are taking that much of the news into consideration. Next week's guest named Jules Turpak actually talks a lot about this over on her TikTok channel. Um, she has a podcast with Andrew Yang, and she's really up to date on everything happening in tech policy. So there mm. are people like her, but that's pretty few and far between. And I think mm. it's interesting, though, that I keep seeing a lot of people migrating over to Instagram, because in my opinion, Instagram is kind of like a newsletter. Where like mm. you don't blow up from just having a newsletter. A newsletter is kind of like your supporting thing. Like you have you have something big that happens first. Maybe it's a podcast, and then you have a newsletter, and you can announce it on the podcast, and then that's a great way to get emails. But having an Instagram account is kind of like it, kind of like the newsletter of today, where it's really difficult to blow up on there. And I don't know if that's necessarily the place that I would even switch over mm. to. I do see Instagram um, dumping me into the TikTok format every chance they get it's super yeah. annoying and then when they dump me over there it's not people i follow yep i agree and i'm just like oh god I, I you know and then you get sucked in and you now you've watched 20 of these things and you don't remember any of them and that's the thing that pisses me off about it is i would like to see my friends because at least that would be like i would feel i'm catching up on my friends and what they're up to i don't know you know i i think it's like a bad decision on their part i know it might lead to better metrics but i really feel like i want my friends first and maybe if the percentage was like 10% other or 20% other, like one out of five was like, they do discover some interesting things. So they'll show me something like, oh, because you watch Mark Knopfler in Dire Straits, you might enjoy this. So they, they actually tell me in the main photo stream, which I do like that feature. I just don't like the other, like just ramming it down my throats. Um, we're be we've been making these on YouTube uh, shorts and uh, pressure on our team has been making them coming out pretty good. Um, so next week, when we have our little time together, maybe you take a look at what we've done and maybe give us a couple pointers. Um, Definitely. Of what I, we should do better. I also am almost never on. I don't know about you, or I'd love to hear if the Nodi gang goes over on YouTube shorts, but I, I'm a big, big consumer of YouTube content. I almost, I yeah. don't subscribe to any even streaming platform, to be honest, other than the ones that I get to sneak on with my parents. I watch all my stuff on YouTube, but I don't, I don't watch any of their shorts. And I, I, I hate the reels. Um, I mm. think that might be because I don't spend that much time on Instagram. So the things that are recommended to me, because they're, they're mostly discovery, are so far off. Or maybe it's what other followers, like I, I get a lot of sports stuff and a ton of my friends are giant sports fans, but I'm not. Um, so maybe it's that, but haven't found any short video platform that has really curated the best for you page except for TikTok. And with YouTube, when I open up the app, it's normally on a laptop or an iPad. And so my Correct. first thought isn't to go over to a short. Mm. Uh, can we also make, just for our um, uh, our team, so Presh, if you could do this by the time this episode comes out today, thisweekinstartups.com slash shorts, thisweekinstartups.com slash TikTok, just so people can redirect to a playlist of our shorts and our TikTok channel, our official channel. Um, and that would be great just so we can start experimenting with it. Um, and people can go find our stuff and give us pointers on it. What I would like to do producer Nick, if you can make a note next week, I would like on my personal one to do a video where I explain human rights abuses in China, uh, and then have it be like a text over like a baking video. I notice when people want to tell stories that are like super controversial, they'll put it on a baking video, I guess, to get by the censors. I don't know if you've ever seen that. 
Have yeah. you seen this uh, concept where like they tell some story like that might be very provocative about their personal life? But then why do they do that? What is that about? Honestly, Explain to this boomer why they're doing that. I feel like that kind of actually started over on YouTube where you would hear this like Reddit robot voice read Reddit yes. streams or Reddit like threads oh. more so like over different videos. And I, I kind of feel like I don't know if anybody else has ever seen those. I love that. Like I love listening to different things that people have posted on Reddit. There'll be like Reddit Q&A's read to you and there'll be a different video in, in the background. And the, the, those like TikToks to me are kind of the same way. And I think it's just to get people staying on the video because you do need like a certain amount of seconds on tiktok in order for it to be counted Got as a it. view so you're using the video to capture people aesthetically and have the video hook so you just pick something like one of those baking videos where they're making a cake and spinning it and putting icing on it but then you tell a story and but this creates massive cognitive dissonance for me because i'm watching them make a cake and it looks delicious but i'm getting none of the recipe of the cake and then i'm getting some story about this woman whose sister cheated on her husband yeah, cheated on with her sister right. and and i'm like what wh why am i even watching this i this, i don't want either of these things it's almost uh, like the infographic of tiktok it's like the tiktok's yeah. version of just posting an infographic like on your instagram story it's really weird i i but i want to do on uh, my personal account actually here's what i want to do uh, for next week i want a script to explain um all of the issues with TikTok in the United States uh, and the reporting on TikTok and what they're doing in terms of tracking for the CCP. But I don't want to use the term TikTok. I want to say the app that you may or may not be using right now. And so if we can create a little script for me, that's like a 90 second one, but put it to it's about damn time or something <laughs> and people like dancing to about damn time. And it's just me talking over. And so I want to see if they ban my account. That would be talking cool. about TikTok and the CCP. Yeah, have you, do you like have a, any other videos on, is this on your personal account or that this week? On my personal account, account, I made a personal account and uh, now I'm getting a bunch of followers. like post something else though before to see if like the streams or after to see yeah. if, excuse me, the, the views are like violently different. different. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah, uh, so wonderful. Yeah, let's see if we do that next time. All right, uh, everybody enjoy the interview. Awesome, thanks guys. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. Thank you so much, Ben Smith, for joining me today on a segment of OK Boomer. I met you in a really cool way. So I actually moderated my first event at a co-working space. I'm um, a beautiful new co-working space in Soho um, with my friend Ami and my friend Amy. Just wonderful. And you were there and we got talking and I realized that you were also a founder of a different co-working space. Um, not a co-working space, excuse me, a co-living space, which is like next step, um, called Goal House. And with the rise in co-working, with the rise in co-living, um, especially as more Gen Z employees choose to work remotely and live with other people, I thought, who not, you know, I think you would be the best person to talk to as you, this isn't like the first thing you're founding. Um, I know you founded actually another co-living space, Thrive, out in SF, so subject matter expert here. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me, Rachel. You're a professional in what you do, so it's an oh honor to be here. Well, you are you are stellar. So the first thing I need to know is, I actually just talked to Molly and Jason about this on a live stream. And if people want to tune into our live stream, we normally live stream every single day over on YouTube, This Week in Startups. Just find us over there. But Jason kind of said as a joke, like, oh, like, where where do you Gen Z people, you know, like, meet, meet people on dates? And I'm like, honestly, like... I probably do most of my so like socializing stuff if it's not like at a bar, um, at a co-working space. And then that got me thinking about co-living, which is something that I actually never even considered. And then when I moved to New York, I realized so many of my friends either previously did that 
or are currently on the hunt for it because they are remote employees, they can be a little bit more nomadic, and you just get to meet people. So why do you think Gen Z's in particular are so interested in this communal living? Yeah, so I think it's a confluence of a bunch of different factors. Of course, the pandemic being a big one, just in terms of recent times. But people are just searching for community in ways that previously weren't available. Uh, What I think is special about my house and other co-living spaces is the built-in network or the built-in community. Uh, We're a house of 20 people. There's four floors and a giant basement where we all hang out. And people will really move to New York searching for this type of space now because they realize it's sort of hard to be... uh, I mean, New York has a ton of opportunities, but it's sort of hard to be here alone not knowing that many people. Or maybe you just are friends of friends with people. So having that built-in social fabric is something that I think you know Gen Z really uh, values these days. Um, in the house here, it makes it easy for us to connect with each other. We have a built-in Sunday dinner every single Sunday. Uh, people will basically how it works is there's a seventy-five dollar house budget, and people will volunteer to cook uh, on sort of a, ro- a rotation basis. And we have a bunch of different people coming from outside of the state, sometimes from outside of the country. Uh, so it's really cool. Yeah, people will cook. Like food from the cultures, people will cook all di- all different types of things. Uh, yeah, Penn State, we have something similar to this, and it, it is called a frat house. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. But that's super awesome. And one thing that I found out about snooping a little bit, you know, into you guys is you receive a ton of applicants, like over a thousand applicants a year, but you spend zero dollars on marketing. How are people finding you? Yeah, so this is the nature of just being a one-off house. I run the house independently where I previously ran Tribe Co-Living. And it was, you know, the the goal of Tribe is we were supposed to be a a growth startup. Um, And for different reasons, we realized that growing a co-living company is just a hard thing to do. Uh, That being said, because we're a house of 20 people, we rely mostly on word of mouth. Uh, We post on, on Facebook and the housing groups. And... We find that we're pretty incomparable to the options that are out there. Really? Like, yes, there's furnished housing. Yes, there's the Facebook sublet groups. Um, but if someone is looking for an experience that is community driven, there's us, there's, uh, there's other companies that are, are more niched down. So, for example, there are vegan houses. There are houses that are specifically for tech or AI mm-hmm. or, or whatever it may be. So, yeah, we're really not competing against too many people uh, in the world of housing in yeah. New York. I guess the only other thing that I saw on housing websites, which I moved to New York is an absolute nightmare. And honestly, it's only getting worse. I did not think it could get worse. I have the cheapest rent out of anybody I know, not going to lie, oh, in my area. I know. But now I'm like kind of freaking out because I'm sure they're going to raise my rent. So I've been looking on those Facebook pages and I've been seeing like Alpaca, um, which is a pre-furnished, I know things show up. So what differenti- differentiates you guys from the rest of these other co-living spaces? And like you said, I don't think there are a ton in the city, but there must be something making you guys just like 10 times better than everybody else. Yeah. So for me, I always say that community is created through the balance of intentionality and serendipity. Mm. Um, there are lots of other furnished housing companies like June Homes, Common, Bungalow, to name a few. Yep. And these companies do furnish housing and they do that very well. You know, for example, our furniture is just, it's not from West Elm. It's mostly from Ikea. It's the highest quality stuff at Ikea, but it's not a West Elm. Yeah. Uh, that being said, what we care about really here is setting the intention and getting people that are here that really want to be here and really want to be involved in 
putting together community events, bringing people out to coffee. Uh, some of us might go to Industry City for the salsa night that they have every Friday cool. and during the summers. So it's that intentionality that is the baseline, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And then it's the serendipitous moments that really create this sense of friendship with, with, with each other that allows us to bond. So for example, yesterday I came home uh, after dinner and people were singing karaoke in the basement. I didn't plan that. No one planned that. People were just sitting on the couch and we have mics there and uh, they just put on some YouTube karaoke and they that. started singing. So Very cool. it's those moments. I love that. That's really awesome. So are you guys, is it like cheaper to do a communal living situation than it would be, say, if somebody just went through a broker and did like traditional um, housing in New York City? Or do you think it's pretty comparable because you guys do offer all those amenities? It depends on how you're, how you're measuring it. But basically, our upfront costs are much, much, much cheaper. So because we furnish everything, you don't need to buy any furniture. And we just require a one month security deposit and the first month's rent. Gotcha. So yeah, it, it's relatively affordable. And we are the most affordable co-living option in the city, which I'm really proud of. Oh, I love it. And do you have to stay for a year or can you have people staying month to month? Yeah, um, the minimum stay is two or three months. Okay, but people that's pretty have normal. Stayed here, yeah, pretty yeah. normal. And people have stayed here for over two and a half years. Wow. Uh, yeah. That we had is one guy. awesome. It is really awesome. I, and I think it is a testament to people just enjoying their community experience. People will yeah. move in with the intention of just making new friends over a short three-month period. And then yeah. they'll be like, this is kind of an awesome experience. Maybe it's not a 10-year experience. But it can certainly be a one, two, three year experience. Yeah, that's so cool. And what do you see in people that are like gravitating toward this co-living? I even want to say co-working. And I'm not talking about co-working as in WeWorks. I'm talking about co-working as like these alt co-working spaces that we're starting to see pop up. What do you see with people being drawn to these kinds of places? Like, is there, are they all young? Do they all work in tech? What similarities are there here? I think that the rise of, you know, and I'm not an expert in, in these co-working spaces. I specifically am, am the co-living guy. But yeah, community spaces that, are crazy to me. Like, I think I'm yeah. so interested. So what's, I guess, yeah, is, do you see, I guess, before you can even answer that question, do you see a big difference between people gravitated to just co-living than just co-working? I think co-living is a, is a more challenging product to build well. Okay. Um, and that's why I currently run just one house as opposed to the time in you know, from 2016 to 2019, where we had eight houses here in, in New York and one 80 person house building really in mm -hmm. San Francisco. But because it's a more complicated product and because the type of person that is willing and wanting to live in a co-living space is different than the person that is wanting to sign up for a co-working space, it just takes more emotional and mental capacity to be the, the operator of, of this space. Yeah. So I guess I say that to say, you know, I think the rise of the internet and all of these different things allows for more different types of communities to be experimented with, which is a really cool thing. Ami is is doing a really cool co-working space right now. He's also thought about co-living spaces as well. And King, he is, Ami, we got to have that guy on, man. You two would be, I guess, this is a question for the audience. For, I have two things. Number one, if anybody needs anybody to moderate an event, please ask me. I love moderating events. My siblings always said I get in the middle of stuff and I did not know that was a skill. So if you ever need anybody to get in the middle of things, I will do it. It's a very good skill. Oh, I loved it. It was so cool doing that, that at Ami's uh, co-working space. But another thing, would guests be interested in me having two people on at the same time on these segments? Because I think you have a lot to say about both spaces. And what do you think um, in co-living 
do people most mostly get wrong? Just that it's easy. Really? I think that what what works really well about co-working and community spaces in general is people are there because they see the marketed interests or values and then they can just easily go there for the day. I think I think it's very easy to share space with each other, but to live in proximity to each other is an is a whole nother story just because then you are yeah, you're considering people's dish habits, you're considering people's snoring habits, you're considering people in many different ways that are not necessarily related to their core values or core interests. That being said, when it all does work really well, and I have some amazing roommates here that I that I would love to live with long into the future, when it all works really well, it's sort of like the perfect marriage. That being said, there's sort of like lots of trial and tribulations. Of course. Is there like a vetting process then for people that come into houses? Absolutely. So we try to be as transparent with everything as possible in our application process. People apply through our website. And then I'll just say, this is what the house is about. We're a house of 20 people. There are pros and cons with living with 20 people. One is that you're going to, one pro is that you're going to meet so many different people and share lots of different experiences. But the con is we're not going to be the cleanest house. Um, we're going to try our best, but the rea- reality of it is people are going to be on different schedules and it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. And if you're if you're a person looking for a studio apartment or a luxury living situation, that's probably not the same person that's looking for a room with us. Totally. So yeah, we want it to work for, you know, as much for the the applicant, uh, you know, uh, um in that same way we want it to work for us in the community. How did you even think to start a like a co-living space? So, I know you graduated from Babson. What what year did you graduate college? 2016. So you're you're fairly new. I graduated high school in 2016. So you're about four years older than me. I think producer Nick is probably around your age as well, who works okay. on our team. Um, so this seems like something that not a lot of 20-somethings are doing, like starting homes in New York. What what really inspired this? Yeah, so many different things. My background is pretty unique. I'll it do is, a 30-second yeah. TED Talk. But basically, I was adopted from China by two dads. I grew up here in New York City. And I think because I grew up in a different family situation, I've always loved learning about people's backgrounds, Um, mainly because in learning about people's backgrounds, I also had to hope uh, that other people would accept me for who I was and my family for for who who we are. I think that this was made especially evident to me while I was studying abroad in Madrid for one semester. I stayed at a bunch of different hostels and sort of the hostel experiences, you knock on someone's bunk and you say, hey, I'm Ben, I'm from New York. And then you get talking. I love that. And then if it's a good hostel, and I don't know if you've stayed in any hostels, of but course. if it's a good one. Okay. Yeah, okay. Amazing. Of in Madrid, actually. I oh, did okay, a wonderful abroad program um, where this wasn't a hostel situation, but I did this amazing program. I got to plug them. C-I-E-E. Six weeks in new cities. Uh, I did Berlin, Paris, Madrid, but I have stayed in a hostel in, um, in Madrid. And it was two beds, two queen beds in one room. Phenomenal. That's great, amazing. Great stuff right off the square. Did you happen to go out with any strangers from your hostel? Of course. I'm actually a huge hostel junkie. I love them. And I would highly recommend a bunch of people do them, especially if you're in your 20s, because a lot of them have caps on ages, especially if there are other female solo travelers. There's like all women, um, all women rooms and hostels. And I have made some just freaking amazing friends. I think that is actually probably the closest I've ever done to to uh, communal living other than like a dorm in college, right? In the US, us Americans, we're taught that hostels are cheap and grungy places to live. Like they are the 
they're not the preferred method of living. But if you go to Europe, the hostel culture is that of community. It's meeting other travelers, learning about other people from different backgrounds. So I would become seemingly best friends with these people over a weekend. And I thought, how can we replicate a similar experience back in the US in New York, um, where there are so many people, but sometimes you, you'll see your neighbor twice a week for an entire year and you won't even say hi. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, it, it's sort of the confluence of those, those different things that made me want to come back to New York. Co-living had just become a term in the world, you know, with WeWork launching We Live and Common launching with a big funding round. Yeah. And I thought, you know, how can we do this in a, in a true community driven way? That's why I started it. That's actually, you're so right too about the, uh, the thought about hostels in the States. Cause I, I remember like searching on like hostel, hostelworld.com, I think is like the name of like the website where you can browse stuff. And there's some pretty insane ones in places like Switzerland. I think, um, there's one, it's called like bomber hostel, B A L M E R. And it's like very famous one. And hostels are, crazy crazy cool for people backpacking through europe do you think like this communal living could get to the stage of popularity as hostels have in europe i think it depends on the length of stay. i think that people so what's great about this idea of intentionality is i think it's great when people intentionally decide this is their communal living moment in their life for either three months for six months for one year uh or a little bit more and their intention is to meet lots of different people and to see who they connect with. And they're not going to connect with everyone. And that's just the reality of it. But if you, someone can co-live for one year and if they can make two or three really good connections, lifelong friends out of that, uh, which I think is totally possible, then it's completely worth it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think hostels will always be around. I think co-living spaces are still experimenting with what works and what doesn't. Yeah, I guess time will tell. Super excited to see. I hope they do. Um, become a little bit more popular, number one, because just rent's crazy expensive. And it's hard to find roommates in New York. So I think they're just a really good option. But also, I I grew up in like a really big family, speaking of families, and I love hearing about people's communal experience, because it kind of reminds me of living back home with my my parents. And you know, there's only like so much time I feel like while you're young, where you feel very comfortable sharing your own space. I think the older you get, and the more you kind of like guard your space, the more you want it to stay like that. So the more open you are with living with other people, the easier it is. Like it's it's really difficult to go from like having a studio apartment, for example, to going back to like dorm life. So definitely would recommend checking out communal living for anybody listening or especially anybody interning. I did NYU dorms. I went random, which is not the same, but mm-hmm. NYU dorms. Um, I lived with two other girls in one room. And it was random, like I said, and it was phenomenal. It was super cool. We ended up going out together. Anyway, you had a bunch of like gyms and things like that that we could use while I interned here. But I really wish this was like more of an option because we definitely weren't doing karaoke in a basement. And I do want to pivot for my last kind of topic with you. So you kind of touched on this already. You are an adoptee with two dads. You were raised in New York and you are huge on TikTok because of that, not because of communal living. So most of your platform, um, you have like over like 85,000 followers on TikTok, 6.1 million likes. You're blowing up. You're doing great stuff. How has that impacted your business and how would you expect to kind of like pivot or maybe bring in your business a little bit more into your content? Yeah. So I think just thinking about this from a macro standpoint is lots of people, pretty much everyone in the world is on a journey of self-discovery. People are on their own path. And I think because of that, like I know I'm on my own path and that makes me 
incredibly interested in your path, Rachel, or in, in other people's paths that I don't know. And I think that businesses are starting to see that, yes, you can sell a product in, in marketing and you can focus on what that product is about. But more so than that, people are also interested in what is the company history? What is the founder's story? And this is what I want to continue to increase um, share, to, to, to increase my sharing about Gold House and why I actually am doing communal living. Um, I'd love to tell the story behind that. And it's something that I've sort of strayed away from in the past. So yeah, hope to do more of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on a segment of OK Boomer. If people want to find you or your company, where should they look? Yeah, so on my uh, TikTok and Instagram, it's at Becoming Ben. And our website is goalhousenyc.com. Amazing. I hope to see you around, whether that's at a co-working or um, maybe I'll have to swing by and see what your co-living space Come is like. Come by for a Sunday dinner. Yeah, of course. Of course. Thanks, Ben. All right. Thanks so much, Rachel. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Huge thanks to Howard Lindsay for joining the show. Huge thank you to producer Rachel for another great OK Boomer segment. And Sunday, Sunday, Sunday school is coming. You got to go to VC Sunday school and a great climate interview. That's going to blow your mind. Another great week. Great job, producer Nick. And to the entire team, Matt and Jamie and everybody working uh, hard at uh, This Week in Startups and the launch team and the inside team, couldn't do it without you. Shout out to all my teams working really hard this summer to hit the milestones that we've set. I know it's been a little rough sailing here with this crazy market, but we're doing a great job and uh, it couldn't do it without you. So shout out to all my teams and team members who are really burning the midnight oil. And it's just great to see all of you learning and seeing your careers develop. It really, it, it makes it all worthwhile for me to come up and uh, come to work every day. So I just wanted to shout out my teams. All right, I'll see you on Sunday.